Have you ever wanted an instruction manual for your life? Something that went over the stuff that isn't always obvious? Or even some of the stuff that is? My name is Sarah Ramsey. I'm a singer, voice, performance, and growth coach, and I've spent a lifetime open to the lessons behind our experiences and seeking out pathways to becoming more enlightened, better humans. And I'm Dr. Stefan Rabnett. I've been a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine for over 20 years, and I'm also a Jay Shetty certified life coach. I've long been fascinated with our human superpowers, the ones we don't quite have the instruction manual for, and I'm forever curious about how we can unlock them. Welcome to This Big Life Podcast, where we have deeper conversations about the nature of existence, our place in it, and how we can leverage these things to create the life we want. Basically, we're bringing the woo-woo to you, you. But don't worry, we don't take ourselves too seriously. everybody welcome again to another episode of this big life podcast today we are very happy to have a really special guest sarah harvey uh, i know sarah from my days in camor in the rocky mountains in canada and she is just an incredibly interesting person like an incredibly diverse person with all sorts of tools and um, professions under her belt she is a cranial sacral practitioner and registered massage therapist um, she leads yoga and meditation retreats. She's a whitewater rafting guide, I believe. She does a little bit of everything. So on our themes of kind of unleashing our superhero powers, she's got a few. Anyways, <laughs> welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you both so much for having me. It's really nice to have a chance to chat. Yeah, cool. So um, why don't you just start out kind of before we dive into your kind of little tips about stuff. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, maybe I'll just elaborate a little bit on our connection. Um, so I felt really lucky to meet you, Stefan, in Canmore. I've been there for a while and it's a small town. And when you do whatever you want to call it, body work, energy work, cold healing space for people, um, sometimes it can be hard to find others in your smaller community that can hold space for you. And uh, it was such a gift that I found you at the at back at it and had the opportunity um, to start getting treatments for you and that you could hold space for working on my shoulder and also working on my esoteric <laughs> journey. So I'm, I'm just really grateful and I miss you in Canmore. So it's nice to have a chance to reconnect. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sarah. That's nice to hear. I also just want to say I love that terminology. And I know it's getting, it's a little bit more common, but when you're talking about healing modalities and, and whether that's like emotional work or physical work or whatever, when you're talking about holding space for healing, as opposed to different kind of terminology, I think it puts a slightly different twist on it. And, uh, I just really appreciate that terminology for what that's worth. That's worth a lot. Well, there you go. That's my two cents over and out. (laughs) 
All right, so, back to Sarah. Tell us about your little. I, I know because you know you. I always found it so interesting of all the different diverse things that you did. And um, I really appreciated that diversity because as humans, we're such a wide spectrum of usness, right? And that you always seem to have a capacity to delve into um, the very physical, the very spiritual, and you really facilitated space for people on all, all ends of that spectrum, you know, as an individual practitioner and leading retreats for people. So, um, so I'm gonna go back. Tell us, tell us more. Tell us more. I'm, I'm, I'm missing the little Sarah stories. So, like, tell us more about <laughs> kind of what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, I think that Sarah, you kind of pulled pulled out holding space, and that definitely was a theme in that weaves through everything I wanted to talk about today, and weaves through all my work. So, on one level, all my work is very um, diverse. So I've led, you know, up to 90 day backcountry trips with mountaineering and whitewater canoeing and hiking leading typically college students who are getting college credit and learning how to do all this stuff on their own so it's a a leadership school in the states Mm -hmm. and i still um keep going back and working for them and run a lot of their training for their new guides which i love or instructors and on one hand that's super different than the other things i do but at this it's actually you're ultimately holding space for people who are trying to figure themselves out. And the wilderness is just such a magnetic, healing, powerful place to do that. So in a lot of ways, it's actually easier for me in the wilderness because Mother Earth, our planet is doing so much of the work. And out there, I get fed so much too. So there's a bit more lightness in a lot of ways being in that place and being in a big group that, um, that feeds me. So I love my one-on-one work as well. And so I do that virtually intuitive energy calls as well as in-person craniosacral therapy, massage therapy, and a lot of yoga work. And I really find that my container for that can get full pretty quickly. And I need that outdoor element, whether it's personal trips to just keep clearing that energy so that I can hold a neutral place for people. And We're in such an interesting time where, you know, the age of the guru is really falling off, right? So Mm -hmm. all people we had on pedestals, all these amazing wise teachers, um, we're ultimately seeing that they are falling and some of them quite hard and fast. And I think that it, we play a duality in that, that we also need to recognize that by putting people on a pedestal, we are setting them up to fall. Um, so we're all ultimately human. And I think it's really the same with, with healing work that that's really important is no one is coming to, I'm not fixing anyone. Um, I'm holding space for them to tune into their own inner guru. And for a lot of us, that's a really new concept because society, we're really taught that the guru, the wisdom um, lies without us. So whether it's, um, purchasing clothing, purchasing a new course, um, going to a teacher for wisdom, that we outsource that rather than learning to listen to our own inner wisdom. And it's dangerous. Like, I don't want people to think of me as that, I, you know, that I am going to fix them because that that's it. They're setting me up to fall off the pedestal. Yeah. And I think you know, Stefan, just going back to finding you in Kenmore and finding someone who could hold that really neutral space for me. And that was, yeah, it's such a, a sacred gift. And so, 
I wouldn't be doing you a favor by putting you on a pedestal either. Yeah, fair. Thank you for sharing. I, I like that. And I, I hearing you say that, I, I have a different appreciation for doing this type of work in the wilderness, as you said, because there isn't the story there, right? There isn't the same type of um, dynamic of the kind of the interpersonal stuff or um, also the stimulation that triggers like the story of wanting to put things on pedestals or this kind of that hierarchy that we go into reaction to. But when you're in the wilderness, it just, it just is, and it's just beautiful. And it's not so much the story, but it is basically the setting for us to kind of do stuff. And um, yeah, it's kind of, I've always known that logically, but hearing you say that, makes me want to do a wilderness <laughs> retreat, right? Like as opposed to different than just doing something as a class, which has value and different things in, you know, an urban setting definitely have value for sure. But just hearing you say that is um, it's, yeah, it's, it's powerful. So it's cool. Anyways. Well, and it, I think it like in a wilderness setting too, there's that whole element where you are removing all the distractions of, you know, technology and all the, all the things that pull us out of our own um, sort of energetic focus on a day-to-day moment-to-moment basis, you're removing all of those pieces. And it's just about connection at that point when you're out in the wilderness. Am I reading that appropriately? That's exactly it. And so things can be a little more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. For sure. And it also, there's, there's no distraction and there's also no escaping that we're interdependent because yeah. we, we need each other. It's more obvious. There's more direct consequences that we need each other out there. Yeah. And there's a really nice um, equalizer to the playing field. You know, often we issue all the students, all their gear. So everyone's wearing the same sort of dorky outfit. <laughs> so <laughs> it also removes like those potential status symbols of um that can create again othering right interesting yeah i like that word say because sarah so i i you know first of all we have two sarahs here <laughs> so, <laughs> sarah. uh, so uh, like you know our guest sarah harvey has an h at the end of sarah and then starts with sarah so if i throw in an h in there randomly that that's kind of what it is <laughs> A lot of people call me like Sarah Harvey's definitely one word. In a lot okay, of Sarah Harvey. I like it. Sarah Harvey. <laughs> Sarah Harvey. Okay. Um, well, Sarah Ramsey, as you said, you know, that at the word connection. And um, I think, um, again, that that aspect of, you know, we can, it seems like we can preload how connection should be. Like, even what you were saying, Sarah Harvey, about the guru and the pedestal is I think sometimes people have that preconceived idea that that is what their version of connection is. And um, I guess, you know, that aspect of connection in the wilderness has that capacity to kind of take that away. And it's a, just a different type of connection. And um, anyways, I like that. Yeah, especially if you're learning a new technical skill, like water, yeah. um, canoeing, backcountry skiing, <clears throat> Uh, mountaineering a new skill that's new to everyone so then there's also not this competence hierarchy Mm -hmm. more nuanced than that some people are going to learn faster than others but um yeah 
Question, Sarah Harvey. Do you find sometimes people are almost uncomfortable with such a level open playing field at the beginning? Or do they kind of jump right into it? uh, I think there's so much happening at the beginning and it it would be the same as, you know, I've done a lot of one month, two month, three month meditation, silent meditation retreats. And it's very similar at the beginning that people aren't really there yet. Like people's Mm. anxiety are running so high at the beginning. And um, a lot of college students these days will are, potentially taking a, a lot of different prescription medications that they'll go off of for these trips as well. So there's kind of the digital detox that's happening or we're learning to present. There's this, what the heck have I signed up for? Oh my gosh, I'm going to be out here with these people for how long? Uh, and there's also potentially some medication withdrawal. And I think ultimately what I'm always reminded of in the wilderness and on silent meditation retreats is that y- just how unpresent we are and it takes several days you know to really understand how because you don't know what you don't know and you think you're totally present but the more and more the distractions are pulled away the more the deeper we land so Mm -hmm. a mini version I run wilderness yoga retreats which is one of my nice places that all my different skills fit together and I'm you know, trying to access as many people, make it as accessible as possible. And time is, you know, a lot of people's biggest commodity. A lot of people who come are often women um, who work and have small children. And I used to do a lot of two night retreats. And I realized that for their nervous system to really anchor that three nights is a minimum. And I I mean, a month would be amazing, but that's Mm -hmm. just not um, realistic. So even the difference of three nights and we don't have technology on our retreats and we're in a backcountry setting and the, the difference in people in three to have two full days of no travel, no logistics, everything's taken care of for you. The level of presence and the deepening of the nervous system is so incredible to witness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. When you go on the, on the, uh, longer retreats, the, you know, 30, 60, 90 day retreats, and you're learning, or I mean, in your case, you'd be teaching, but the participants are learning different skills along the way. And as you mentioned, there's sort of a level playing field because people are going in, generally speaking, not knowing any of these skills. Um, do you notice, Stephanie, you asked a, a, a minute ago about, you know, how they um, sort of feel going into those new skills. Sarah, my question for you is, is there a difference to how they approach the learning of those new skills at the beginning versus at the end and feeling that being sort of an equalized playing field and how uncomfortable or comfortable it is to put themselves into a new skill once they have uh, equalized their nervous system to that sort of a, I can't find the word that I want, but you know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, um, for sure. That's, yeah, that question is on point. Uh, There, for sure, and that's a big theme of these courses is actually a lot of these people may never go camping again. Mm -hmm. And, and that, still means it was a great win. And so a lot of the skills we'll do, and we'll have actually 
private groups come into. So it could be, say, a group of NASA astronauts before they're going up into space to live in that small mm-hmm. spaceship together for an extended period of time. And a lot of the business schools in the States and stuff are starting to do it as well. And those are more 10-day trips. But the, the point is we teach a lot about how do you learn and all the the curriculum, the pedagogy is changing over time. You know, it used to have a lot more sort of gendered associations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you someone who learns more by creating safety and rapport and removing any connotation that that matters if you're female identifying or male identifying? Um, are you someone who's drawn more to competence and skill and um, is going to be attracted to the person who's more competent? And again, just trying to build more self-awareness in people so that exactly they can feel confident going wherever they go in the world, regardless if they never go into the backcountry again, and tap into that same feeling of safety or that my self-worth doesn't dictate my competence, that confidence and competence are not the same. Yeah. And so that they could feel safe to put themselves in uncomfortable situations. Because, you know, so much of the... The research is after the age of 35, we can potentially auto function on autopilot for the rest of our lives. We've built enough neural pathways mm-hmm. that we can just go into default operating and really stay in our comfort zone unconsciously. Even if we're traveling somewhere new, we're operating from our same neural pathways. So for people to push themselves to be able to try, new, learn more about themselves, put themselves in really disarming situations and then have that awareness of okay where am I holding back for fear of and and what is my fear is it that people won't like me is it that I won't be good enough and we can peel that back that we all have these really basic fears that are running so many back back behind the scenes unconscious neural pathways and that if we can clear some of those um, we you know sure I'll try whatever that new skill is yeah Totally. That's that. that, I love that. That's fascinating. That really is fascinating because, you know, we often talk about unlearning kind of those software programs of the past, but um, I get, you know, and I can just, I keep coming back, like picturing myself in something like that in that type of situation. And I can picture myself one, that's why I asked it before first being like this discomfort, right? Like suddenly being shown everywhere that I've been used as a coping mechanism that I wasn't aware and just that stripped down aspect of it. Um, but then the capacity to kind of create almost like those new software programs, those new neural pathways about value and connection that transcends location. And I just keep thinking like, this is like a, you know, this should be like required kind of learning for yeah. everybody, right? Like, I mean, think about where the world would be if we all did something like this. And because it's a different level of discomfort, you know, we talk about going through our discomfort, but what you're describing and, and the space that you're creating for people is a different level of discomfort, not more discomfort, although I can envision a lot of discomfort there, especially as stuff sheds away, but it's like a dynamic and it's like suddenly we are you know, in one of those TV shows where we're like lost, right? Or like you're on an island with somebody, then what, right? And that then what can be very, very powerful. That's really cool, Sarah Harvey. I I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, Yeah, that was me. That's not in the curriculum book somewhere, just to be clear. That was me pulling (laughs) um, a bunch of different disciplines. So I teach a lot of yoga nidra as well. And I practice a ton of yoga nidra, which is the yoga of sleep. 
And in the teacher training through my studies, I learned you know, so much about our brain waves and childhood patterning and how that affects how we operate in the world. So that was me sort of interlaying that part with what we're doing in the outdoors. Yeah. And that ultimately well it's about creating a feeling of safety, right? So if people feel safe, then they're more likely, you know, safe in their being and safe in the world to, to try new things and connect, you know, take risks with other humans too, to connect with other people. Yeah. And, and that was one of my big lessons that I really wanted or kind of life lessons that I feel like I'm constantly reminding myself and reminding myself to hold space for other people is, you know, I think a lot, I, I think we're, we're skating a fine line that a lot of the self self health self-help industry is um, consciously or unconsciously, deliberately or un- or not, I'm, but preying on this idea that we think we're broken or we need fixing or that there's something mm-hmm. and that actually all these practices going into the wilderness, doing, um, getting a craniosacral treatment, getting acupuncture, taking a yoga teacher training is to remove layers of conditioning to see our own, the light that's already there. It's yeah. not to find something on the outside. So we're working to peel layers of physical trauma, emotional trauma, just conditioning the societal conditioning. There, You're not broken. I'm not broke. There's nothing wrong. We're peeling away layers so that that light, someone once talked about a description I loved of a, a light in an attic and so and you know, the attic could be the mind and that it's full of boxes of dusty old books. So those being all these stories that we're constantly running in the unconscious. And so our practices, whatever they are, yoga, meditation, um, spending hiking in the wilderness, whatever resonates for people, whatever their practices, getting an acupuncture treatment is to help peel away those layers so the light that's already on can shine brighter. I like it. I like that analogy a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I love that idea that, um, you know, that we aren't broken, right? Because, and it's one of those experiential things too that, you know, yeah, that sounds well and good, but that's good for other people. Like, no, no, no. Like I really am. Right. Like it's, I'm actually the one that's really got the, Oh, you're fucked. Right? Like kind of aspect. Right. Stuff. And, um, again, you can see the value of putting yourself in a situation where you can peel that, that to you make yourself realize that that in itself is just part of the conditioning too. Right. That, that actually you are, unique in your screwed upness type of thing is also part of that conditioning that we're um, kind of needing to, or see, have the value in, in, in terms of shedding. So I have, a, I have a question for you, Sarah, like is what's the difference between safety and comfort? Mm. Cause I think sometimes people equate the two, but from what I'm kind of hearing you say there, you know, that that's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I the image that pops into my mind is we're sitting around our little whisper light stoves at night wearing 
clothes that we've been wearing for 20 days, like we smell bad. <laughs> We're, you know, making this little hot chocolate sitting on the dirt and, you know, thinking about like, oh, to go to the bathroom and have to go dig a hole in the woods in the dark. So there's not a lot of comfort, <laughs> physical comfort, but everyone's laughing and giggling and there's this connection of safety of, you know, tomorrow we're going to wake up early and do this big thing where our lives are going to be dependent on each other. And we built rapport. We put a lot of effort into building connection and rapport um, where we feel safe, not oblivious of the risk, but we feel safe to go try this thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah, that's really cool. So if we were to kind of kind of tie that up a little bit in terms of kind of putting that into like a lesson um, in a sentence or two. And I'm, you know, here I am not wanting to conceptualize things and conceptualizing things, but the same juncture, (laughs) I love everything we just talked about. And I'm just um, wondering if you could, if we could just put it into like a sentence or two that kind of, um, kind of resonated with and kind of described everything that you just said. Here, sum it all up in two words. Sum life up, please, in two sentences, Sarah Harvey. I would like that right now. And go. Well, Ramdas says we're going to fall asleep a thousand times, but what matters is we're going to choose to wake up a thousand and one. So Mm. my work is creating these environments where we're reminded by our peers, by the teachers, by the environment, and by our own inner self to come back. I'm not broken. You're not broken because your suffering is my suffering ultimately. So we're creating these safe containers to remind each other of that. Even if it's a silent retreat where we're, you know, we're we're not even speaking to others, but we're in this room with others. That's Mm. perfect. I love that. Thank you. I did ask the impossible and somehow you delivered. So thank you very much. That's incredible. I, and I, I love that Ramdas quote because it's true. Like, I think again, we, um, it's like all that we can always choose again. Right. And there's that aspect of stuff that, you know, again, we're too far gone or too whatever, but it's all that matters is you keep choosing to be awake when you have that choice in front of you. Okay. I love it, Sarah. Okay. There you go. So we may have, um, kind of covered we may have jumped the gun a little bit with some of this conversation but it's not going to stop us from asking you to talk about your your three things your three best pieces of advice for life your your whatever your three things are and if we've already covered some of it that's okay we'll just sort of circle back around but do you want to do you want to speak to that sure well my my first one was um yeah, the myth that we're broken and mm. this reminder and whatever, it, it can be one breath, but this reminder that we are actually perfect, that we are full of light. And again, that that guru lives, the inner light, whatever you want to call it, divinity is actually is within us. So teachers come on our path to help us shine it. And the the disconnect or the abuse of power happens when we shine it we think it's them that makes us feel good but they're mm-hmm. still how to do it ourselves and i think you know it can be a little bit depressing right now to look around at any religion or yogic path um, or meditation path and think 
or a corporation. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think there's no, you know, I just want to believe in something or some, and at the digger you deep everywhere, there's all these scandals. And yeah, I just really think it's the time of the inner guru. So that reminder that, well, we can get right with ourselves and other people can really help us on that path. But as soon as we give them our power, consciously or unconsciously, it's not going to work. And we're gonna yeah. I think that that's a, a really beautiful point. And I, I mean, I think that there's maybe a distinction to be made between it's, it's a delicate distinction to make between our own inner knowing and the fact that there are areas of life where somebody else may have greater skill than mm-hmm. we do in a given area. And I don't think that that is to be disavowed like you know Mm -hmm. you you go to uh, i'm not a fan of making doctors god either but if i'm gonna if i have a broken leg i'm gonna go to a doctor because they know how to set it and i don't Mm -hmm. so there is a place where somebody else has greater skill than i do that doesn't um change my inner knowing that there is something wrong with my body and if i go to the doctor and they say no you're fine i know that that's not true and I, I just think that there's a delicate distinction that is um, worth noting in, as part of this conversation. Yeah, I think the distinction comes of them when you put them on a pedestal. Yes. So, yeah. you know, it's one thing to say, wow, that doctor, you know, like the, the set was amazing. The bone has repaired. I mean, that doctor is a master in their skill set. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. And then the danger is then when we take away their humanity and think they can do no wrong or they know everything rather than they are an expert in that, in that craft, in that field. Yes. Yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier, Sarah, like on your retreats, how, you know, there's proficiency and confidence are different, right? And when you kind of strip down, there's going to be certain things that you may gravitate towards and other people will gravitate towards other things. And there's no hierarchy and value there, right? And so there, it's, it's a different type of stuff. And I can see in our system how easy it is, though, to... Um, kind of subconsciously and then almost consciously as well kind of connect well they're skilled they have the value that's light and in essence sometimes it's easier to see that light in somebody else because that light is there but then suddenly equate it well i don't have any right it's not within me like i I, you know it's not kind of that aspect of stuff and i think again in society like the way our you know social media everything you know, again, no judgment. It's set up to highlight, like, be something you're not and probably can't, like, attain type of aspect. And that just fosters that kind of feeling of, oh, shit, you know, like, you know, and that yeah. kind of collapse kind of inside there. So, um, and I, I guess, you know, you guys are making a very good point is um, it's okay to recognize skill and light Mm -hmm. in other people in all walks Mm -hmm. but that's separate from any sort of value placement on your own light and your own skill and your own aspect of stuff and um and and again coming back to um because i i think when we're even when we we have that hierarchy of stuff hierarchy kind of can you know um kind of imbue that idea that we are broken like well you know i gotta fix something within myself then to do like kind of good do over there and i i guess 
the other thing that we kind of, and I'm jumping around a little bit, but that's how I roll. You both know that, um, is doing work doesn't mean something needs to be fixed. Right. And I think also, I know I've used that as an excuse sometimes where it's just like, well, well, if I'm not broken, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't have to do any work, you know, almost like using that was like, okay. But then waking up a little bit, like that kind of choosing to wake up the thousand and first time and be like, well, no, but do you want to grow? Right. And so there's an aspect that kind of goes through that a little bit. So anyways, yeah, this is a fascinating thing. So I love, I love your first, um, your first lesson, Bing. you know, your first, <laughs> no, your first, by the way, we're still like, we're still figuring out exactly what to call them because they're almost undefinable, but bits mm-hmm. of awesomeness, we'll call it right now. So your first <laughs> bit of awesomeness is that we're not broken, even though yeah. that myth is absolutely, absolutely per, like broadcast into our society that things are, you are broken. You need to be fixed. This is how it's fixed. It's a problem that needs to be solved, so to speak. And even, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, and I, I know it's, it's interesting because even within like kind of coaching communities and stuff as a way to kind of, you know, let people know that there, it can very easily slip into this, like, that's your problem. That's how I'm going to fix it as a way to get mm-hmm. people's attention, you know, and um, it's a very slippery slope. Anyways, well, thank I mean, you, for that. You, you just talk about uh, any marketing class you go through the first thing they're going to say is focus on the pain point yeah the pain point is just different language for what is broken that's Mm -hmm. that's what they're aiming for and and i am a much bigger fan of what you're putting forth sarah which is the the concept that it's not what is broken it is how do you want to grow and improve and peel the layers we're all onions (laughs) yeah we are we all drink our eyes water that's for sure the answers are within us they're not yeah a marketing thing that you need to purchase something external and it doesn't mean like a lot of our healing because we do have blind spots you know that in community you're having someone hold neutral space so that we can really connect with our own inner wisdom sometimes we can't get under those stories to hear it so it doesn't mean to exist in isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think an a, example is I used to use, say, the wilderness and long meditation retreats as well. I used to go on them because I did think I was broken or messed mm-hmm. up or, and I was trying to fix something. And now I go because I love it and my light can shine brighter in those supportive environments. Yeah. Um, Maybe in another example in my twenties, I I would seek out a lot of say, intuitive um, healers, and I think partially because there was no real career path or roadmap for what I ended up doing. So I was, but I would go to them like, "Tell me what to do," and mm-hmm. and I was the one putting them on the pedestal. Like I would put way too much stock in their tarot card reading, or as opposed to using it as a tool mm-hmm. and so now you know i i go i let myself go once a year and i come in with my own vision or questions and kind of like hey i'd like to refine this how can you help me see my blind spots here yeah. rather than 
my 20s being like, you have all the answers. You're an intuitive healer. You know, tell me what to do because I don't know. I can't figure out, you know, I can see I'm not supposed to take this path or this path, but I can't, there's no Mm -hmm. roadmap here. So you show me the path. You have all the answers. And again, that was me putting them on a pedestal. That wasn't, they weren't telling me this is your path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it can see like I've I've been in that position too in the sense of just wanting someone to tell me, right? Like again, I just that aversion to our own knowing for again, for whatever reason, going through those layers, but it's just like I just 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 tell me what to do. I'll do it, but just tell me to go like A or B. And um so there's an aspect of putting people on a pedestal, and then there's that aspect too of just avoiding my own knowing and it just reminds me of one of the questions I like to ask is this like, what do I know that I'm pretending not to know? And it is, um, I, I realized over the years, I will default to kind of wanting other people to almost, it's like do the work for me in a way, right? Like basically I'll just, you just, just tell me. And even if it's not putting them on a massive pedestal in my conscious mind, that is what's happening because I'm putting basically I'm outsourcing, as you said, and I love the way you said that earlier is just that aspect of outsourcing your knowing when really that is a job that we're designed to do and will contribute the most to our growth. So, yeah. Well, easier, right? Because if it doesn't work out, it's their fault, not yours. So. It, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's, you're exactly, you're, you're right? giving up the responsibility. You're you're allowing somebody else to take responsibility so that you don't have to shoulder the responsibility for yourself. Right? I know that's that's how totally. it feels for me anyway. Like I am overwhelmed with all the responsibility for all the things. So I would like to give this piece of responsibility for to someone else. Yeah. I love what you just said, Sarah, too, because you know, the um, if you're wrong at somebody else's like fault, right? And it's like, it's kind of like one of those aspects of control where we're coming through, like not studying for a test. So therefore, you know that you're in control of not doing well. Well, I didn't study, right? Like, it's just like, well, I didn't choose that. Someone told me to do it, you know, as opposed to really kind of committing to ourselves because committing to ourselves can be uncomfortable, right? And again, we like our coping, our habits, our stuff. Um, and that's why, you know, it doesn't, it's not always easy to kind of go into our knowing. And, but I think again, that's why these types of retreats, these things that you do again, the first few days, especially don't sound like they're going to be easy, but there's an aspect to it that becomes clear. Right. And with that clarity comes that okay, like this is something that I can go into more. It's like you've exercised that muscle. You're creating those new neural pathways. Things are more possible for you to go inside and experience your knowing, you know? So anyways, okay, I like it. I like this, <laughs> this first awesome bit, right? That's taken like so much of this time. So um, what about awesome bit number two, Sarah? Hey, awesome bit number two is yeah carving out some time for even no matter how short but for introspection contemplation or silence we spend most of our time in that five percent of our brain which is really quite boring and unoriginal um and i 
can't remember the exact statistic. I'll totally mess this up, but you know, a hundred years ago, people receive inputted in a year the same amount of information that we input in a week or a day. I don't know if either of you have heard that. I I know the stat you're talking about. I don't remember the numbers, but yes. It's shit ton ridiculous. Yes, it is. It It really is. We're bombarded, right? So this, just this opportunity for some silence, something to notice what's going on under the surface today. You know, how is my light bright? Um, Is there something I do need to take care of to make my light a little brighter? Or, and often the answer is, do I need to offer myself a little more meta or loving kindness or self-compassion to put a bandaid on that and to suit? So I don't need to necessarily dig in, but just offer a little more kindness in there to help that clear so my light can shine brighter. Uh, the the Buddhist monk I study with, and I really resonate with the Thai forest tradition because again, the monks spent a lot of time outside and, and still do present tense. Um, the outdoor meditation in the forest, walking meditation and seated, and the monasteries are typically in a remote area. But a monk talked a lot about how now more and more Christian or Catholic priests are reaching out to monks and they want to bring the contemplative practices back into their traditions because in so many traditions the contemplative practices actually used to be a really rich part of them and they got lost and one monk and this is you know speculation but um this really struck me he speculated that if we if for example, the Catholic priests in North America that ran the residential schools, if they had still had a contemplative part of their practice, some part of them in the day where they had to sit with themselves and they couldn't just be running on distraction and outer, would all the horrors of sexual abuse, of physical abuse, you know, mm-hmm. still have happened? And wow. that question really landed for me. And I think of that often. Mm-hmm. We will do anything not to sit with ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even when we have a practice of sitting with ourselves, we will go to lengths to not sit with ourselves. Right. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I agree. I like in the sense of like carving out time to allow that to happen. And asking that question kind of, well, you know, what do I need, right? Like, what does the compassion is it? Um, um, whatever it is, but it, it's like creating the space, like time is that space for it to whatever, right? Like na- nature, even better in terms of like, you can just down, like offload everything there. But even, um, you know, a lot of people live in urban settings where that's not as easy to kind of jump outside and do, but you can... I think from what you're saying is like you is if you carve out the time, that's the important bit, like to create because you're in essence creating space for yourself to be like, okay, now what? Like, is is, is that correct? Is that kind of? Mm-hmm. And it can be five minutes a day in a bathroom stall at work. Yeah, like it doesn't it does you know a three month <laughs> wilderness retreat is not the most realistic or but. And I'm not romanticizing. I mean, there's lots of examples of monks who had abuses of power as well. So yeah. I'm you know, careful to say like, this is the path and this is the answer for everyone. But I think 
that question that you've asked me many times in treatments is what am I, what do I know that I'm not allowing myself to know? Just sitting with yourself, you know, the studies where they put electric shock machines in, in cubicles with people and left them in meditation or just to sit with themselves. They would call it meditation and people go over and electrocute themselves. Oh, that was awful. And they go sit back down and then an hour later they go back and electrocute themselves again because it's easier than sitting with ourselves. There's mm. a, a lot in there. And uh totally interesting. Yeah. Like we would rather experience pain than I guess in a way, like are we choosing the pain we think we're gonna choose like because sitting with ourselves also feels like that could be like discomfort and pain. Um, or we can control the pain by hitting a button and doing something. Ah, that's crazy. We're, we're an interesting species. We are an interesting species for sure. I, I wonder if this is a little bit of a side tangent, but it's what we do. <laughs> I wonder if, um, when you increase those, uh, the capacity to sit with yourself and truly just be with yourself, how that impacts attention span in the rest of your life. Because we have become a society with such a short attention span. Like I see it in myself. I'm watching TV and I want to additionally be scrolling. And I find myself sometimes scrolling one <laughs> one social media platform and feeling like I want to turn another one on at the same time, somehow magically, like my attention span has become that short that I need that kind of multiple stimuli and yet also feel completely overwhelmed by that sort of multiple stimuli. But I wonder how that capacity to sit with yourself in what probably at first feels like boredom, but eventually doesn't feel like boredom increases your attention span and capacity to um, stay present in one activity, <laughs> you know, in the rest of your life, there's gotta be a correlation there. Oh yeah. It's huge. And it's so scary that we're all so vulnerable or, or prey to it, right? Our attention or cause it ties back to time our attention mm -hmm. is the greatest commodity right now. And mm -hmm. that's what Silicon Valley knows. And yeah. I heard Pico Iyer speak a bunch of years back and he talked about how, you know, the gurus in gurus of their discipline in right. Silicon Valley who are creating these apps, they know like their kids are not allowed on those devices. Yeah. Steve Jobs kids were not allowed to have iPods. Yeah, exactly. And they, you know, he talked, he kind of imploring the crowd. It was at the BAMP Center a bunch of years ago, but, you know, the idea of a Sabbath, like have one day a week where you're not on your device. And it was interesting. He talked about how a lot of the people in Silicon Valley, because they understood if you're constantly feeding that 5% of your brain, you don't access your creative ideas. So mm -hmm. whatever your motivation, if it's for inner peace or for making more money and having creative ideas, it's all the same. It's like, as soon as those devices own us, we can't access our own inner wisdom mm -hmm. or sit with ourselves. And so he was really, you know, encouraging, like, could you, a lot that a lot of people in the Silicon Valley do weekends without their devices. Mm -hmm. 
And after I was really trying to figure out how you would do the whole weekend, just because our devices are so tied to, I was thinking maybe you need a flip phone or something to like, how do you make plans with someone on the weekend? But back in the day, you just made a plan and then followed through. <laughs> you didn't need yeah. to. <laughs> but I have actually heard of that. They yeah. they have on the market now, and it's a like, for lack of a better word, it's a dumb phone instead of a smartphone, right? And it is like, that's all it does is it makes phone calls and that's it. And what you do is you take your SIM card out of your phone and you put it in that phone for the weekend. So for your, your tech holiday, your day off, your Sabbath, you put your SIM card in your dumb phone so that you are still reachable, but you are not being bombarded by social and emails and text messages and all those things because they can wait till Monday at 9 a.m. Well, now I know what I want for Christmas. Right? I wish I knew what the name. (laughs) I don't know what the name of the device is, but uh, we'll have to research that and figure it out. No, it's a dumb phone. I'm always calling it a dumb phone, no matter what, from (laughs) this point forward, because that's brilliant. I love that. And and Sarah, I, I just wanted to get back to what you said um, in terms of our attention being our most valuable resource, because I think one thing that we do is we equate time with attention, and that's not the case. Because as like you know, I've I got two young kids, and I'm always like, oh, time's the most valuable. Like running, like making lunches, doing things. But I can so easily smear into I'm not present with any one thing, and that kind of creates that little bit of an angst, and so. It's, you know, as opposed to being like, okay, I'm doing this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, I get this kind of squeeze of anxiety, and I'm not completely present with anything. And then my, you know, Leo, my four-year-old will come up and be like, dad, right? And then it was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah," right? Like, and even though I'm doing things for him, or I'm, you know, this aspect, my attention is different than my time. And thank you for pointing that out, Sarah, because that is... um, Personally, that's a big one for me. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really big one that I've kind of equated the two and they're not. And um, that it's worth kind of doing these practices with the idea of being attentive to our attention. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And when we need, like when I do work, like working with a lot of groups and always asking people, you know, say a goal or an intention moving forward. And so often it's like less time on my device and trying to get everyone, including myself to reframe that somehow, because it's not just about self-discipline. Like it's, you know, Mm -hmm. these masters of the psychologists of the world are hired to keep vying for your attention. So it's, you know, where's the self-compassion rather than beating yourself up because you wasted an hour on social media today or four or seven or whatever, you know, what, what, um, you know, where's the self-compassion in, in reclaiming our attention span? I love that. That's so true. And self-compassion is a tool to harness our attention. Cause I, and I think again, that's, again, that's one of the biggest keys to the lock that allows us to go into our inner knowing Mm -hmm. is that little bit of self-compassion. And, um, I think it is an easy thing sometimes for our brains to almost dismiss all self-compassion. That sounds good. It's like gratitude. Oh yeah, that sounds wonderful, but Mm -hmm. no, not in this situation, but it can be that I don't want to say simple, but at the same time, it's simple. 
like that ability to kind of allow yourself to, um, you know, love yourself and have that compassion of like, yes, we're all learning. Like we are learning. This is a process. This isn't, we're not supposed to be a finished problem product because we're here. We're still learning. <laughs> yeah. We are a finished problem. We are not a finished product. We are. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or what, and what you said, Sarah, like I'm overwhelmed. So I'm using this to self soothe. So yes, it's yeah. Instead of like what? the self soothe. Yeah, totally. The dopamine self soothe of just like, okay, okay, okay. Right. Hitting that button as much as we possibly can and having some compassion around that but but recognizing it for what it is mm-hmm. yeah Stefan, go totally yeah okay sorry i'm jumping around because we could talk forever i want to get because i know there's a beautiful number three nugget here from sarah a little awesome bit number three um let's have at it okay i think they got a little blurry so that's okay we're all about blurry okay okay. (laughs) so that could be number three (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah i kindness so we had yeah that reminder that we are perfect was the first one Mm -hmm. we're not broken then that contemplative time every day Mm -hmm. and then I, i think the third is that we're in the age of the inner guru and to really I love that to welcome that age. And that doesn't like, I love what you said before, Sarah, that does not mean I have all the answers, not, you know, not yeah. to be confused with that. And again, I keep quoting Ram Dass and I'm probably slightly misquoting all these things, but I heard a great interview. Um, it was on one of his documentaries before he passed away. And he was talking about, you know, this re amplification of the psychedelic movement again, and one of his biggest things from the 60s and 70s from the learning was he said, let's bring everyone with us this time. And mm. that, that ties back to That's kindness cool. and welcoming everyone's inner guru. So it's not just like an elitist thing or some people are, you know, have more insights because they've done these or, you know, let, let's bring everyone with us. Because if someone, you know, all the spiritual teachers talk, if one person is suffering, we're all suffering. So how do I help someone else see their inner light? And that that's the greatest gift I can give them. It's going to reawakening, help them see their own inner guru. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Honestly, Sarah, that actually feels like it circles right back to what you were talking about at the beginning around holding space for somebody right like bringing bringing somebody with the age of the inner guru and and bringing everybody with us that requires holding space for somebody else to find their inner guru Mm -hmm. and allowing that um being in support of that there's a uh that feels very circular to me like Mm -hmm. in a great way it also ties back to social media and every awakening everyone's inner guru doesn't mean that everyone has to have a giant opinion on everything on social media. And right. that, like, that's mm-hmm. not awakening your inner guru. So, Well, here's the thing that because having a huge opinion on everything on social media and whatever, that is like trying to put ourselves on the pedestal for other people. Right. Yeah. And we totally. don't need to do that. We just need to be that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
we can go into that aspect, I think, of like competition, right? Mm. Or like <clears throat> hierarchy or less, more, less, more, as opposed to um, kind of that exploration in and holding space for ourselves to kind of allow our inner guru as a way to kind of facilitate holding space for other people. Yeah. Right. Cause I like, I like that idea is like light begets light. Right. So if we kind of allow ours, it's easier for Mary Sue or Joe blow beside me to kind of like, Oh, okay. It's safe to be light. Yes. And that kind of allows stuff to kind of unfold that way. Cool. Cool. All right. So Sarah, like how, how can people find you or like, do you like, are your retreats open to um, the public? Most I know in the past, they, they kind of, kind of get snapped up pretty quick, but I'm sure some people listening to this are going to be like, uh, yes, please. Like, <laughs> how can I explore this further? So how can people explore this further? Yes, definitely. Um, retreats are open to everyone all my stuff is kind of tying back to let's bring everyone with us this time so i run two yoga nidra teacher trainings a year in the yoga of sleep and that's a lot of introspective work and it's really a beautiful practice too if people are dealing with any physical injuries um it's a in a way that yoga can be or a different limb of yoga can be accessible and definitely all body types are welcome and thrive in that environment. I met my parents. They have a landline. So <laughs> we just let that play out. But... Spectacular. <laughs> That's life. There's no accidents. That. That's all good. That's it. good. One of those um, trainings is virtual each year. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you're located. And then the other one is either in Calgary or in the Bow Valley, depending on the year. My next one starts at the end of January, 2023, a virtual one. And it's three weekends. It's also recognized by Yoga Alliance for continuing education. So if yoga teachers want to add it, and a lot of people take it for personal development as well. Awesome. And my wilderness yoga retreats are typically run in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. And they're, it's all on my website, sarahharvey.com. But I typically run about four three night retreats a year in, in different wilderness settings. And there's a combination of yoga, meditation, um, creative writing, journaling, and, and walking meditation out in the woods. And there's time to go explore too and have like, there's definitely room for play and all these. That's beautiful. Um, I do one-on-one craniosacral therapy. Like I was saying, both virtual calls where we tune into your energetic body, your, your intuition as well as in person in Canmore in Calgary. Um, and I work a lot as well with a doctor in the States. Um, she does ketamine therapy and stellate ganglion blocks. And I do cranial sacral while people are getting those treatments. And in 2023, we're going to be launching some retreats as well. And there are kind of, you know, the joke right now is, get your car fixed, get your, you know, go, go get all your things done because everyone and their dog is becoming like a psychedelic therapist right now. Um, so you, know, you won't be able to get those things done. And, uh, while that is true, <clears throat> the doctor I work with has more fellowships than anyone else. She follows integrative medicine, has studied with Dr. Andrew Wield and that we know of were the only ones offering ketamine and stellate ganglion blocks, which is a reboot for the nervous system. Um, 
So wow. yeah, we're really, in, she's incorporating all the depth of her studies and we really focus on integration before and after. There, you know, there's a lot of instances right now of people doing this really profound work, but tying back to the safety we talked about at the beginning, not having that safe container and that, you know, this work can, as we're peeling away the layers to have our inner light shine bright, we can dig up some stuff that we might need support in integrating. And that's really important and focus for us. That's amazing. And where is that? Wow. Um, we are running the retreats in the Teton Valley in Idaho next year. And we'll probably branch out. We were actually just working in the Caribbean last week. And so we're, and we were talking there about uh, for some private clients and we have definitely some chats about future retreats there. Um, cause it's a very nature Island, but the Teton Valley in Idaho, which is also a beautiful, lots of access to nature for integrating mm-hmm. mm-hmm. close to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Can you spell out your website for us since you have a name that can kind of be spelled a few ways? You bet. It's Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, and then Harvey. So there's two H's back to back. Harvey's H-A-R-V-I-E, sarahharvey.com. And if you just Google any spelling of Sarah Harvey with Canmore after it, then I should pop. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. And we will link that in the show notes yeah. as well. And what about social media? Do you do you want yeah. people to um, find you there? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And my goal for early 2023 is to get a YouTube channel out there as it is apparently the most widely used search engine. So I should have done that five years ago. But yeah, YouTube as well will be coming. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I got... There's a lot. Yes. And I got a lot. And this is one of those ones I know that a few times during the day today when I'm going about other things, I'm going to be like, yeah. you know, <laughs> there's going to be different things that are just going to like come, you know, from all that stuff. So um, thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. There, there's a lot there. And I know our listeners got a lot out of it too. So um, thank you very much. And um, thank you all for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you for your time and your great questions. That was really fun. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for joining our conversation today. You can head over to thisbiglifepodcast.com for all the show notes and information. If you loved what you heard here today, Would you do us a favor and rate and review the show? It helps more people just like you discover these juicy conversations. And if you know someone you think would love this particular episode, you can even go ahead and share it with them right now. And if you have a topic you would love to hear us discuss, or someone you think would make a great guest for our show, you can submit your ideas using the link in the show notes. And you can always find us on Instagram, at This Big Life Podcast. Thanks again. We'll be right back here in your ears next Tuesday. See you then.